Hi, this is John. And today's podcast is a little bit different. It's a special podcast, one we've never done before. We did our first ever live event a few weeks ago in San Diego when we were visiting the Here We Still Stand conference through 1517. This is the first time we've ever done a live event, and it's also the first time we've ever taken live questions from the audience, and we answered those questions. So these are great questions received. How do we know the Holy Spirit dwells within us? How do you share the gospel in a pietistic context? Uh, How do you read the Bible from a Reformed perspective is just some of the few questions that we had received. Uh, It's the first 45 minutes of the podcast is available free here, and if you want to hear the entire podcast. You can join our Total Access Network. The rest of it will be on our memberships uh, podcast. We hope you enjoy the podcast and we'll see you next week. This is the first time we've ever done anything like this. I cannot promise how it's going to go. So I think it'll be great. (laughs) Uh, But what we're going to do is going to open a word of prayer. Just ask the Lord to encourage us, bless our time. And then we'll tell you a little bit about the night and then we'll get started. So, all right, let's pray. Our Father, we are humbled by the fact that you unconditionally care for us, you've unconditionally saved us and love us. And Lord, tonight, that is what this is about, where we get the opportunity to discuss the greater realities of resting in the finished work of Jesus Christ, the struggles that are there, the complications that are there. Lord, I just pray that as the questions come in and as uh, we three sinners who are in desperate need of grace try and work through these questions so that everyone listening may benefit from worshiping and loving and enjoying the beauty of Jesus Christ. Lord, we just thank you for the technology. We thank you for the Fields Church. Uh, We thank you for Patrick and Jeremy working hard to put all this together. And Lord, just ask that you would be honored in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Well, before we get started, I want to thank the Fields Church for allowing us to be here. And thank you specifically to uh, Jeremy and Patrick. If you guys are in the room, you might raise your hands for me. There he goes. There's, there's Patrick and Jeremy's. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks, right, guys. There he is over there. So they, uh, they made all of this happen for us, and we appreciate that. There are some books in the back. Did those, the books get put out yet? So the books are in the back, the white ones, the Faith versus Faithfulness, everyone that's here, feel free to grab one. We wanted to just encourage you. Those are in print now, and everybody that came um, you get one of those for free. And if you've already read it and you don't need it, then give it away to someone who thinks might need it. And then the Pilgrim's Guide to Rest, if you want one of those, we're not doing any kind of money exchange. Take one and just go on the website and give us a donation of whatever you want. And uh, that would be helpful to pay for those. So that's about all the announcements that I have. Can I well, get one of the books? I don't even have a book. Yeah, yet. for real. I don't even. These guys haven't even seen them yet. So there you go. <laughs> I mean, we, we wrote it. You wrote it. We haven't it, seen yes. the actual. Right. I mean, Right. Be careful. Uh, we are going to take as many questions as we can, and there's a lot of them flowing in. We're going to some of them we're really excited about. We'll answer a little bit longer, and um, we'll uh, we'll probably. And if I seem distracted, I'm trying to sort through all the emails and <laughs> copy and paste them. <laughs> so tonight will be a little bit different than what we normally do uh, than a normal podcast, but the, the the format will be the same. If this is you're new or someone just stumbled upon Theocast, and you're like, oh, they have a live show going on. Uh, we'll just explain a little bit. So we are three pastors. Uh, Jimmy is starting his first service in two weeks. Uh, Lord willing. Lord willing, yeah. officially. Uh, so Jimmy Bueller is in Wilmer, Minnesota at Christ Community Church. Justin's been senior pastor for four years, going on five? Uh, just now four. Just now four years. Yeah. 
at Covenant Baptist Church in Asheville, North Carolina. And my church, we started just over two years ago, uh, and we are in just south of Nashville in Spring Hill, and we just changed our name to Grace Reformed Church. So that's uh, that's the introduction today. Uh, Jim or Justin and I woke up at um, early this yeah, morning, I, midnight Pacific time, <laughs> yeah, one a.m. this time. Been so rolling since if now. we say things that may not make a whole lot of sense, it right. might be because we we woke up pretty early. So yeah, I have a question sure. over here. I'm sorry, John Moffat. Yes, mm-hmm. thank you. <laughs> I'll apologize. All right, well, that's, that's the introduction. We're not going to do with that much of a culture update today other than um, we love San Diego. We love, I don't know if I've ever been to Carlsbad before. It is amazing over here. I've been to San Diego before, but it is amazing. Yeah. And any food recommendations or tacos or sushi, we want all those recommendations. All so those, afterwards, if you can things. stick around, um, that, would be, that, would be, that would be awesome. Mm-hmm. So, all right. Well, I think that's um, I think that's all we have. So, Justin, why don't you bring us up with our first question? All right, man. So, the first one we're going to take on for tonight uh, don't have a name on the submission, uh, and we might not get your name, so don't be offended by that. Is there any legitimate motivation for obedience other than gratitude for the gospel? Should we use fear of consequences in our daily walk? It's a great question. It's a really good question. What you got? I think scripturally, as we look through the New Testament and even in the Old Testament, there are clear passages um, specifically that talk about warning those, uh, particularly those who are caught in patterns of sin. You know, I think of 1 Corinthians 5, uh, Paul is addressing the church thinking of a specific individual and, and he says to, to cast them out from their midst so that for, for the, you know, the, the destruction of his flesh. Um, h- however, I think we need to be careful that what's meant to be rifled, uh, we don't shotgun to the, to the general populace. And so, I mean, I, I, I can think where I've heard of that passage exposited and rather than addressing the specific, I make a general rule for it. And so it's, it becomes more of a, a fear tactic. And, and, fr- and frankly, uh, I, I mean, I would say no for the everyday walk of the believer. I mean, fear is just not going to be overly helpful, uh, but there's just a little bit more nuance to that. And so I want to let you guys swing in and I can jump in later, but. Yeah, I'll answer the second part of the question first, kind of like you did. Should we use fear of consequences in our daily walk? I think that the harsh language in the New Testament, if we survey it, where the apostles are writing with language that is even severe, they're reserved for several kinds of scenarios, and they're relatively specific to your point, Jimmy. One of those would be unrepentant sin, where you see individuals are sinning. It's like, hey, I'm sinning. I don't care. I don't care that what I'm doing is sin. Well, in that scenario, the apostles speak with harsh language at points, and I think it's appropriate that we would too. But again, that's not an ongoing occurrence for most of the believers, even sitting here. I mean, who would ask a question like this? That's not the scenario. Another scenario where harsh language is used in the New Testament is if somebody is doing something that is sin, but they don't want to call it sin. Sure. So yeah, I'm I'm doing this. God says it's sin, but I don't think it's sin, so I'm going to continue doing this. Well, harsh language is appropriate. Another example is 1 Corinthians 5, where 
Christians are boasting in their freedom in such a way they're they're boasting in licentiousness as an expression of Christian freedom, I guess is maybe a better way to frame it. Where Paul is saying in 1 Corinthians 5, like, hey, you're doing something that even pagans realize is immoral and gross, yet you're arrogant about it. Like, you think this is a legitimate expression of Christian freedom, and it isn't. Okay, that's severe language. And then another scenario where the apostles are perhaps most severe, if you think about the book of Galatians, for example, is in defending the gospel like how it is that a sinner is reconciled to a holy God. So I think we have specific scenarios that we see in the New Testament where that language of warning is used. And we would understand that God uses warnings as a means to keep his own. But in terms of, yeah, the ongoing use of fear in our daily walk, I would agree with your response. And my response is essentially the same. No, that's not just a scattershot approach that we would normally take. Yeah. Yeah, this... um... So Justin and I had a very long conversation from LA to San Diego today, specifically around fear, around an article that came out by Mark Jones that we're going to probably talk about on Saturday. Yeah, yeah. And there is a there's a fear tactic that's out there where you're afraid if you don't perform an, a well enough, you don't do enough good works, uh, then you're not going to be saved. And so you do live your Christian life wondering, am I going to do enough? Have I done enough? What have I done? That is also to say, though, that uh, to agree with these guys, I, I will tell you that I'm terrified of sin. It, it absolutely terrifies me because of what it causes and what it does. So if I think about the ramifications of sin that affects my family, that affects my friends, and that affects my church, it terrifies me because sin is destructive. It destroys. It never gives. It only takes, and it never delivers on its promise whatsoever. So on that side of it, I look at fear as any human being logically would look at fear, or sorry, sin, and say, uh, no, it's not beneficial. As it relates to your relationship and resting in Christ, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. If, If Christ is the one who says, I'm the one who has chosen you, no one can pull you out of my hand. Um, not, not only that, uh, you, you have this concept of sheep. And then the moment you find a sheep finds himself stuck in sin, multiple times in scripture, uh, you have Hebrews is one. You also have it in the book of Revelation. You have Jesus who says this, where he disciplines the ones, not whom he's angry at, not whom who has sinned, the sinner, the the. the the tone and position is he disciplines those whom he loves. Hmm. So even that moment when you catch yourself in sin, Jesus gives the illustration of the prodigal son. Right. And you look at the son walking home and he's walking home and he's got all of this anxiety in him. And he's, man, I, I just don't know if my father is going to, if he's going to really accept this. And all of a sudden he's running out to him, embracing, throwing this party. And that's the posture. What's are, we still, are we still doing hand signals? I guess. Oh, so. this I is what we normally do. We have so hand signals if yeah. we're going to jump. We normally in. can't. Yeah, yeah. I'll have yeah. to look. No, you it's fine. And then I'll go. Okay. <laughs> well, no. I mean, I, I think just to to jump on your the parable of the prodigal son. What's interesting about the parable of the prodigal son is that the, the prodigal son was not repenting, and, and, yeah. and he was he was coming back to to he was coming back to slavery. That's that's what he wanted. I didn't. He wasn't coming back to his position as a son. I'm just going to go hire myself out as one of my father's mm-hmm. servants. Whereas, you know, Chad Bird, he's a Lutheran pastor. He talks about how the father in that, he, he, he repents his son. 
He's the one who brings him back into the fold. And I think what's important to remember about using fear is that um, when we use fear tactics to elicit change uh, within people, where does that place the focus? Mm -hmm. The focus is placed on the individual. And often where fear leads us is to despair and to focus on ourselves. Um, am I committing the unforgivable sin? And so, I mean, I'll just tell you a funny story, and this is neither here nor there on our Pentecostal brothers and sisters. Uh, if you're in the room, God be praised. But I mean, I, when I was in high school, I, uh, I was part of this Pentecostal youth group, and it was like the thing to get the students to, uh, to speak in tongues. And again, neither here nor there. We can talk about that later, perhaps. And uh, so... I'm here. I am 17, 18 years old. And they're like, does anybody want to receive the Holy spirit? And I'm like, well, that sounds good. Mm-hmm. I want that. That should be a good thing to have yeah. Holy spirit, I guess. And so they're playing music and whatever. And so I go to the front and then all of a sudden there's like a swarm of people around me praying that I would speak in tongues. And if my wife is right up here, she knows that I don't love like super close, like prayer circles. They're just sweaty, uncomfortable. <laughs> um, and so everybody's praying for me. And so, I mean, I, this, is, this is really embarrassing. And again, I'm sorry. But I just start uttering gibberish. And people are like, oh, praise God, he's speaking in tongues. And I'm like, no, I'm not. I just want you to get away. But for years, yeah. I know, and that's funny now, but for years, like I thought I had blasphemed the Holy Spirit. Mm-hmm. And I mean, it just drove me yeah. into this pit of despair and, and fear. Yeah. Whereas when the gospel is our motivation, where does it place the focus? It, it places the focus on, on Christ. And this is why, and particularly in our church plant, uh, something that's part of our liturgical practices, you know, whether it comes from one of the historic Reformed confessions or catechisms, or, or we just frankly, we read God's law. And we're, we're reminded of our utter helplessness and hopelessness before, before Christ. And so something I try to pray through um, pastorally with our people is, we're only here in our worship service to receive that which Christ can offer. And so this is what we would think of as kind of a law and gospel distinction, where the law says, do this and live. Uh, I mean, thinking of, of Moses when he's sprinkling the blood on the Israelites, and you know, he's saying, you have now committed that you will do this, do this and live. And yet the book of Hebrews talks about Christ's blood speaks a better word. And this, is, this is a gospel understanding where Jesus says, here is my, my blood, so to speak, in the form of wine. Take and, and drink it. And Jesus cleanses us. And so the law says, do this and live. The gospel says, believe, and it's already done for you. Mm-hmm. And so, yes, we, we, we call people to repentance. Um, but I just know for me, 99% of the time, what I need to repent of is my self-trust. Sure. That I can, I can do it on my own. I don't, I don't need to a savior. So yeah. you guys want to jump in on that? Sure. I'm going to throw out some other things that are motivations for obedience that are at least slightly different than gratitude for the gospel. So the first thing that I would say is that safety and security in Christ is, an, is a motivator for obedience. Like it absolutely is. Now that seems counterintuitive to us because the legal spirit is so hardwired into all of us that we tend to think about being motivated to obey for two main reasons. One is merit, and the other is escape of punishment. 
But biblically speaking, the fact that we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ and the work that he has done in our place and that we are safe motivates and propels us Mm. forward. Mm. Another thing that we could say is along the lines of Romans 6 and 7, Paul will talk about in Romans 6 how because of God's work in us, our union with Christ by the Spirit, we now have become obedient from the heart. So now this is an imperfect desire that we have. It will never be perfect this side of heaven, but it's a sincere and real desire to obey. Mm. So we see that transformation of of life. Now, we're not looking to that transformation as the ground of our confidence. Only Jesus is that. But there is a real change that is wrought in us by the Holy Spirit. So we become obedient from the heart, not according to a, a written code. Romans 7, Paul will talk about the internal war that he fights, that we all fight, but he'll make the statement that in his inner man, he delights in the law of God. So just to John's point, like sin is terrible. I mean, when has sin ever brought anything good into any one of our lives? It never has. There might be a moment where there's some fleeting gratification or satisfaction or something. Otherwise, we wouldn't keep doing it. Right. (laughs) I mean, obviously, there, there is something on the front end of it that looks so tantalizing and it looks so good, but then immediately or in the aftermath, we're like, oh my gosh, like this is, this is terrible. And so it's bad for us. You know? So the fact that we realize that sin is bad and that we actually, when we hear the law of God, the believer hears the law and says, yes, like why wouldn't I want to do that? Mm-hmm. So there is that, that real motivation. And then I, I couldn't agree more with the statement about the discipline of God. This is sort of my parting shot on this question and then we'll maybe transition. Yeah. The discipline of God is always done by our loving Father. So discipline in and of itself, the way it's described in Scripture, is not because God is angry with us and because our standing before him is in jeopardy. Discipline is done by God because we're his. That's right. And so we have a podcast coming out soon on Hebrews 12 yeah, and holiness weeks. and the yeah. way that Hebrews 12, 14 in particular is often used as this very threatening verse. So we don't need to talk about that at length tonight maybe, but let people listen sure. to that. That, that is yeah. one of the most spirited podcasts I've ever seen Justin on. Was that just you two? Yeah. I'm bummed I missed it. Yeah. It's okay. Well, someone was, Jim, you know, planning Jimmy's a life is insanely busy right now with the church plant piece. So I'll call yeah, Jimmy yeah. and three days later, I'll, I get a text back. Sorry, oh, I haven't been able to call you. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> By so, vocational man. <laughs> so we're going to transition yep. uh, just so that well, we can try to get to several. Can, I, can I just, please? One last thing. I mean, yeah. I would just say, I mean, just on a practical level in your everyday relationships, you know, if you have kids, I mean, I mean, I, I'll just speak to my wife. Um, who's here, by the yeah, way, this is my wife, Kelsey, raise your hey, hand. Hey, Kelsey. Married nine years tomorrow. <laughs> so, whoa. Um, yeah. Moved, right? Congratulations. Yeah, yeah. So anyway, going to Chick-fil-A, huh? <laughs> yep. So what I did, Burger King, play place. Um, <laughs> just can't get enough of that slide. So, <laughs> I mean, I mean, just think of your practical relationships. I mean, how many of us use fear for motivation for love? in our relationships. Like I don't use fear with my wife, you know, Hey babe, um, I'll take you on a date. Uh, but if, but if you don't do this, you know, I mean, I just don't know. I don't know. Yeah. I don't know if we're going to go to Burger King. You know, I mean, it's just like the same, same with your children. You know what? I mean, often, I mean, Lord willing, what are we using for, for motivation in our kids? We want them to feel loved mm. and saved and even like brought in. Right. Right. I mean, to what's going on in the family. Yeah. And, and so, I mean, we, our, our second child, Owen, he's four or five. He's five now. He just turned five. And the other day at the dinner table, I mean, 
just full disclosure, it was a rough day in the Bueller house. And, you know, mom and dad were um, using volume as parenting. And I mean, Owen, he's our really tender child and he just starts breaking down and he's, you know, he's got this, this big bottom lip and he goes, mommy and daddy, my heart is so sad (laughs) when you yell. Um, and I told him to shut up and go to his room. Um, but, but no, I mean, just in that moment, it it is a perfect picture where it's like, I want to draw him in through grace and through love. And, And it's the same with, with God, that God has, we're so conditioned to please God. Like we want to please God with, with rags. And God says, you know, you can keep your rags because I, I, I have robes yeah. of righteousness for you. And that, that's what we see in the prodigal son, just to kind of wrap that up. But if you, And this is my encouragement to whoever the person who wrote the email in. If your position, your relationship with God is one that you are in this constant fear, and normally it's someone who's afraid of their assurance, their fear that sure. maybe they're not saved. It's, it's normally not the person who's in sin and doesn't want to repent of their sin. That's, that's a different scenario. Normally, the people we deal with is they are trying to figure out, is God okay with me? And the answer to that is, if you believe the gospel is true, that Jesus Christ saves sinners by his death, life, and resurrection, that his righteousness has been given to you, if you believe that, the fear that you have, that, that you are having this, in this relationship with God, you need to know it's not right. And you have to start there. Uh, w- most of the time, when I'm dealing with someone who's coming out of pietism, coming out of legalism, where all they've heard is perform or else, perform or else. Do this is, and live. It is so ingrained. When they hear the gospel, they say, that, that can't be true. Which, you know, I'd take Martin Lloyd-Jones to my side and say, well, I must be doing it right because they're, they're, they're questioning it. Sure. And there, there comes a moment where, and this is why at all three of our churches, every Sunday we are faced with that reality. And when you take the bread and you take the wine, and I think to myself every time, this can't be true, but I'm glad that it is. Mm-hmm. I'm so glad that it is. Yeah. And if you are in here thinking you're the only one who ever questions whether God's mad at them or not, you're not alone. You're not crazy in that feeling. So yeah. we'll move on to the next one. Yeah. Great question, by the way. So public service announcement, especially for those who are watching the live stream. I think only one of the microphones is working we got well. It. We, got we did get it. Yeah, we got it fixed. Okay, great. Never mind. So we'll just really move on to the next That's question. That's why I have not been uh, in the discussion recently. Fixing um, technical fixing, issues. Fixing <laughs> technical issues. This is our first run at this. We thank you for your patience. Mm-hmm. So we've got several other really good questions. We'll that refund anybody who's upset. <laughs> No, we won't. As long as, <laughs> as long as they donate first. We'll That's right. All right. The so time. the next question Can't that we're going to take on, I'm going to try to keep us on the tracks here. How does <laughs> resting, try. I'm trying, trying and failing. How does resting in Christ show up practically in the stresses of daily life? Feeding kids, paying bills, relating to coworkers, et cetera. Mm. Great question. Can I, I'll take a swing at this. Um, so recently, uh, the, a big shift that happened in our life is uh, I took a full-time job on top of our church plant and it is at a, it's at a local school, lo- local Christian school teaching. And so I teach everything from Bible to church history to speech and geography because all of those are related somehow. I haven't figured it out yet, but I'm getting there. <laughs> um, and, and quite frankly, one of the things that has been more helpful for me in the past few years is I, th- I think Luther was maybe perhaps the first one to bring this up, Martin Luther was the idea of the doctrine of vocation. Mm-hmm. The idea that 
you know, somebody asked him, I think, I believe he was a shoemaker and he said, you know, Dr. Luther, how, how do I glorify God? And he said, well, make really good shoes and sell it at a fair price Yeah. where it was like, oh, I mean, I'd, I'd never thought of that. And so, I mean, frankly, right now, the way that I, f- I find rest in Christ, that I, I trust in the active obedience of Christ on my behalf, that when God sees me, he sees Christ and, and the righteousness that has been imputed to me by grace alone, through faith alone, on account of Christ alone. Amen. And that has freed me to be a good teacher, that I go in and I, I do my lesson plans to the glory of God. And when I stand in front of students, I teach them to the glory of God. And so, I mean, specifically, I, I would say, that, you know, how do I, how does resting Christ show up practically in the stresses of daily life? I mean, I'm going to take a shot in the dark. And this sounds like, this sounds like a young mom question because I mean, we have three littles in our home and it's wild. It's a jungle. And yeah, I mean, my, we hear it, my, yeah, my poor wife, Preacher. I mean, if she can come on, I mean, my goodness, if she can get through a Psalm without somebody pooping on the floor, <laughs> yeah, you know, I mean, so it's, true, it's a miracle, Gosh. you know, I mean, parenting littles is why is this wet? Where's your shoes? It's true. You know, and like, and, how am I going to take a shower today? That's right. You know, <laughs> that kind of stuff. But, but what I've, you know, what I've tried to encourage my wife towards is that, you know, the Lord is not more pleased when you shoo away this is the a children and when you shoo away the, the things that he has called you to do in order to like have a moment in the Psalms. I mean, that's great. God, yeah. God be praised if you can do that. But at the end of the day, he's given us children. Mm-hmm. He's given us vocations, whether you're a plumber or an IT guy. And, and so you rest in Christ that you believe in him and that all that he is is yours. And you are free to go make Amen. really good shoes and sell them at a fair price. Amen. So To pick up on that, Jimmy, I think one of our tendencies is to over-spiritualize everything mm. to where we, we turn every task into this almost like sacred moment where I've got to be like constantly checking my heart posture. <laughs> I've got to make sure that like my mind is in the right place and my motivations are good. And, Check your heart, bro. Yeah. Check it or you'll wreck it, you know? Oh. And so it's that kind of thing where, where we, we kind of place ourselves under this, this bondage, this yoke of like, I've constantly got to be meeting some hyper spiritual standard in all, even the mundane activities that I take on. And to your point, Jimmy, there are so many things that God has called us to that are just absolutely ordinary that right. we go and we do. And honestly, like, like you just said, like with Luther's illustration of selling shoes, I mean, we would expect the same thing in terms of the kind of service and uprightness and business and all those kinds of things from a believer or a non-believer, right? So we can just look at those tasks as what they are. You know, we've been called by God in the, in the household to do things that are very mundane and love our children. And that might mean that, yeah, we're not, we're not spending, you know, an hour every morning on our knees and in, in the Bible. We may not have time for that because of the other things that God has called us to. And we realize that in doing those ordinary things, God is pleased and God is honored with that. But that's, like inextricably linked to this other piece, at least in my own experience. It, it matters so much for me in terms of my daily living to remind myself in those moments where I am tending to over-spiritualize and I'm very mindful of how off my heart is or how messed up I am in my mind or how frustrated I am or whatever, to just preach the gospel to myself on the one hand and say, you know, Jesus really has, he really has accomplished everything that I need in order to be saved, finally. Like, he has done it. And so I can rest in Christ in the midst of the most exciting thing that I'm doing today and in the midst of the most mundane, boring thing that I'm doing today. 
no matter where my heart is, I'm looking outside of myself to Christ, and it's a tremendous comfort. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. So, not to throw you under the bus. Get him. <laughs> I'm just kidding. So, I've been on this kick for a while, and I experienced it for the first time. I was um, in the process of buying a car. Is anybody else in this world thinks that buying a car is from Satan? Like he created that process because mm. it it definitely they do break down because of sin. That's mm. true. Yeah, I've got I have a whole section of gray right here from the last car I bought. No, I was um, I was thinking about it, and I was thinking about our finances and our church. And there was a moment about a week. I, was, I guess it was two weeks ago on a Saturday. I was driving down the interstate to go pick up my wife so we could buy this car, and I was a lit. I was in a moment of panic. I, I, I felt like everything was crashing. And that moment where Justin says, you know, preach the gospel to yourself, I tr- there was like a six-time rotation. And I went through like every truth I knew about the gospel, and it sure. just was not working. Yeah, the, the darkness was not removed. I was still feeling scared. I was feeling like nothing was going to work out. And the tr- the tr- it wasn't because I was buying a truck. It was just added to everything else, all the weight of what I was feeling. And it wasn't until I realized it was Saturday and that tomorrow I was going to be around people that I know that love Christ, that n- I know they love me, and I know that they're not expecting me to show up and be perfect, and that they will absolutely, in fellowship and music and especially around the table, they're going to give me Christ. And so there's that moment where, and this is part of the Calvangelical slash evangelical world where you are, you are absolutely trained to live the Christian life on your own. Solo sport. Yeah. 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 You, you are given, here's five ways that you can wake up in the morning and not be angry. Here's five ways that you can wake up in the morning and not have fear. Uh, you know, for instance, here's five ways you can wake up and rest in Jesus Christ. Mm. And the danger mm-hmm. in that is sure. you think you can, and you can't. The point right. of it is, if you go, do me a favor tonight, go home. It's not very long. Read Ephesians chapter four. I want you to ask yourself one question. What are you supposed to do by yourself when it relates to Christ? Right. There's nothing in that chapter. As a matter of fact, there's nothing in the book other than your faith in Christ. But this is why Paul says, consider how to build one another up into love and good works. Yeah. When the body functions properly, it built itself up in love. And I know we, we get this a lot. John, we love your emphasis on the church, but here's the problem. We're just not in a good, we're not, we don't live in an area where there's a good church. We don't yeah. live in an area where there's good preaching, there's gospel preaching. And I would say, if you live in this area, I know, I know of one, at least, uh, in this area. But my encouragement to you is there, there, there has to come a moment where you realize you are not designed to live the Christian life alone. Yeah. And the harder you try it, I think the more you're going to find yourself frustrated yeah, by yeah. it. Yeah, so just a resource if you don't have this. Um, it's called A Gospel Primer for Christians by Milton Vincent. Excellent book. Um, it's like little gospel vitamins. And I, I love a quote that he has in here. He says, the gospel also reminds me that my righteous standing with God always, her- always holds firm regardless of my performance because my standing is based solely on the work of Jesus and not mine. On my worst days of sin and failure, the gospel encourages me with God's unrelenting grace toward me. On my best days of victory and usefulness, the gospel keeps me relating to God solely on the basis of Jesus's righteousness and not mine. And I think why that's so helpful is as people, we are just naturally drawn and prone 
to our own performance and our own works, whether good or bad. And so we celebrate the day that we just feel like we slayed it mm-hmm. in a Christian sense. You know, I, I, I had my sufficient Bible time. And I, I've joked about this on the podcast, and perhaps you listen, perhaps you don't. But when I was single and had no children, mm. I mean, the level of sanctification Phenomenal. that I had was just— Phenomenal. Yeah. I mean, it was amazing. Yeah. And then you get married and you're like, okay, I mean, yeah, I've got some problems, I guess. Um, and then you have kids and God is like, well, bam, you know, I mean, yeah. you just, you have no idea. Yeah. Like children are mirrors into the deepest and darkest parts yeah. of your soul. Yeah. Um, but in that moment, or I should say, you know, specifically with our firstborn who woke up every 45 minutes for 13 months in those moments, plural, mm-hmm. you know, all you can, all you can say is, I mean, I'm, I'm grateful that. It's I, I operate only on the basis of Jesus Christ Amen. and his righteousness because right now when it's 2 a.m. and my kid is screaming and my wife needs a break and, and I have to watch, you know, 2012 election reruns, mm-hmm. like all I can do is just pray to Jesus in this moment. You know, I mean, it's just, I mean, it's frankly, true. yeah. So yeah. I want to pick up on John's anecdote about buying the car and just how dark you felt, bro. And, you know, I was trying to preach the gospel to myself and it just wasn't taking, like, I just couldn't get the darkness to lift. I couldn't get out of it. And that's where, again, we want to reiterate, thank God that we are not saved by our feelings about Jesus. That's right. You know, thank God we're not saved by how we're doing, you know, emotionally or mentally with respect to the gospel. Mm -hmm. We are saved by Christ, period. The salvation that is ours comes from outside of us and rescues us. And Jesus has done for us what we could never do for ourselves. And so that, that's even a comfort for me as I'm wrestling. So I'm, I'm a pretty introspective guy. So when I'm wrestling with my own mind and heart, I'm just like, yeah, I'm not feeling it today. Yeah. I'm not feeling it this morning. And yet I, I know that my feelings are not what save me. Right. It is Christ who has done that. So that's a practical outworking of it. And then I'm going to tell a brief anecdote of my own to kind of illustrate just our need for the church, John, and then maybe we'll transition to another question. Yeah, I've got, got one. A number. I've got one. Okay, great. great. So I had a Sunday. It's been in the last six months or so. On a Sunday morning, I'm up early. I'm kind of doing final tweaking of my sermon and, and things like that. And it's usually a, a pretty sweet time for me in my own experience. But this particular Sunday, it was just a bad day. I was not doing well mentally or emotionally. It was gray outside. I felt that same way internally. Just stuff going on in our household, just kids not doing well. Um, just my wife and I aren't doing great individually and, and struggling emotionally. And it just, just felt down and discouraged and frustrated. And I got in the truck and was driving over to the YMCA where we have our services. And, and I pulled off of the main road into the parking lot and I could see the cars of some of the people that are always there with me early for setup. And some of these people were dear friends of mine in the church. And my, my heart was moved and stirred as I thought, you know, Father, thank you for these people, like these brothers and sisters who I know love me. And, and they love me regardless of how I'm doing. And I know that I can go in there and have an honest conversation with any one of them. And it's safe. And also, th- I thought to myself as I'm driving in and parking, and I knew what we were about to do, you know, word and sacrament, prayer and song, and all of these things. In the context of the gathered church, I thought, man, there is nowhere I would rather be yeah. than, that, than here mm-hmm. on my worst day because I so desperately need this, and I need the saints. And I went in and had a conversation with Three different with three guys that we all they all kind of congregated around me because one of them asked me how I was doing. I said I'm not doing well, 
and here's what's going on. So they kind of all like are mm-hmm. on me immediately and just listening genuinely and intently and asking good questions. And I was able to talk and process and they said, brother, let's pray. And then let's get about the rest of what we're going to do. And it's just a, an illustration in my own life recently of how desperately you need the church because mm-hmm. God ministers to us by his spirit through other saints, yeah. through our brothers and sisters. Exactly. Yeah. And yeah. I, we just stand in a long line of people who admit, even though we know a lot of sound doctrine and we preach a lot of sound doctrine and we we have a whole podcast on resting in Christ. Sure. We too struggle. Gosh, my, my point is, struggle if you're looking God. for that moment of like, oh, I just never struggle anymore. I'm just constantly resting in Jesus. It, Friends, it's coming. It's called right. when Jesus comes that's back. Right. That's right. And, yeah. and that's why we're never going to give you like, here, here are five ways to, to trust in Christ yeah. because we're, we are trying to figure that out ourselves. Yeah. You know, but we do know that Christ will never fail us and that's our confidence. Yeah. We're, we're, not, we're not saved by our commitment to Jesus. No. We're saved by Jesus' commitment to us. Amen, bro. Yeah. Trust me, if I knew how you could constantly rest in Jesus and never fail, I'd give it already. to you. Right You'd have written a book already. Uh, yeah, I write a book on it. Mm-hmm. Uh, speaking of a book, there was a question by Adam. And Adam, if you're here, feel free to pick up a book on your way out. The question is, are faith and hope an essential aspect in prayer to be answered? Or can people pray without with doubt and still and still have their prayers answered? What does the difference of the heart make. And my answer to that is thank God that you don't have to have a perfect heart when making a request or a need of, of God. And um, I wrote an entire chapter on this section of prayer and what is it that God looks for in answering prayer? I'm not going to answer that tonight. And that's in the Pilgrim's Guide. Yeah, that's yeah. a Pilgrim's Guide to rest. It's a, the last chapter. The one I do want to grab, which I think is going to be fun, I was reading through these as you were uh, talking, JP, is this one by Jesse. And he says, how do we safeguard not using the confessions to read into Scripture? I may have to calm Justin down for this one. (laughs) Or how should we think about exegesis and eisegesis in this context? So before we get started, what is exegesis and what is eisegesis? And then we'll answer that question for those who may not know what that is. You gave a long sigh, so I'm going to let you have it. I don't know. so exegesis I'm is another just word. Calming down, apparently. Yeah. Yeah. Exegesis is another word to 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 mine the text to pull out the meaning of the text. Right. So um, if you're if you're looking at a text, you're. I remember the first time I was in college and I heard the word X and Jesus. I thought it was like a heresy they were going to teach on. Then I realized, oh, that's an weighted like X meaning bad bad Jesus theology. <laughs> but uh, it's not. It means to 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 dive into the purpose and meaning of the text. Eisegesis means to to read something into the text or to isolate something inside the text um, and, and not allowing the context around it to speak into it. And we had a very long conversation today about reading things into the text uh, as it related to the article that we were reading. And I would say, um, and there's going to be people who would disagree with me on this, but I, I'm going to stand on the very tall shoulders of men that have said this for years, if you believe you can go to the Bible and not read anything into the Bible, you're just going to read the words, allow the words speak to you. Mm-hmm. Um, you can try and do that. It's, it's not going to happen. Everybody is born. If you are, you know, if you're 21 and above, everyone is born and raised within a culture and that culture influences you. It's not only the secular culture, but your family and the whatever theological culture that you grow. Even if you didn't grow up in the church, you are around enough entertainment and the um, social media to have it influence you. So when you go to read the Bible, you are already putting something over the top of the text. And I always 
chuckle when someone says, no, no, I just, I read it open-handed and whatever, whatever I think. Uh, yeah, you're right. I mean, everybody has a theological system. The yeah. question is, is your system any good or not? Well, is it yeah. consistent and is it historical? Is it, is safe? it right? And is proven. It, yeah. Right. And, and is it pitting texts in the Bible against one another? Yeah. You know, and, and all that kind of stuff. It's when, interesting how often people, I'm sorry, I no, totally jumped in. No, no, you're fine. I just, just an observation, and I think it's been made on Theocast before. It's interesting how people will kind of jump on the, the creeds and confessions and like, well, we shouldn't use those and, you know, no creed but the Bible as they're waving a study Bible at you. <laughs> you know, and it's like, well, what, what do you think those study notes are, yeah. you know, that you cling so dearly to that are so widely distributed? Uh, I mean, there's a reason why dispensational theology was so prevalent amongst conservative Christians in America. Yeah. I mean, in one of a Schofield study Bible is a big reason for that. Yeah. Anyway, we could go on. No, but, as yeah. a matter of fact, though, to jump on that, if you if you then give me an explanation of Scripture, you are giving me a confession. You're giving me your yeah, confession, absolutely. But you are giving me a confession, so you you can't say, "Well, I don't I don't believe in the confessions." You do believe in one. It's just you're choosing which one you're going to hold to. Because the moment you read John three sixteen and then you say, "This is what I believe it says," what do you call that? You call that a confession. You are confessing this is what the truth is that's there. So you have a, you have a question, you, you have something you have to answer is that, am I going to hold to something that I've now come up with, or do I want to hold to a document or documents that have been soundly uh, examined for years? And what a lot of people don't understand is that the confessions actually were birthed out of a lot of heresy. Mm-hmm. And so what you have people who will go and uh, and I've seen this, uh, I experienced it when I was in school, in college, I experienced it when I was in seminary. Guys will just say, I just believe what the Bible says. Whatever the text says, that's what I believe. And they will completely contradict themselves. So at one moment you have sola fide, and then over here, oh, well, now I guess maybe there's works involved. And they're okay with the contradiction in the text because they're like, well, I'm just reading whatever the text says. And this is where confessions come in and help you understand that there that the Bible isn't contradicting itself and it has a clear consistency with it. You just don't see it at the moment. Um, now, are the confessions one hundred percent infallible? No, I don't no, think anybody would ever say no. that, and that's that's not the point. But when it comes to the major theological points of Scripture, sure. uh, I'm going to side with the history of the church than someone new who's coming up with some new doctrine. Yeah. So, I mean, I think you know, just think of the first the first church council. They're deciding, you know, should, should, should Gentiles be circumcised? Like, should we, should we do that? I mean, they weren't, I mean, they, I'm I'm assuming they were looking at sacred texts and then they made a call. They made a decision, which was the right decision. Hmm. And so, I mean, they just, we do this all the time. We do this all of the time. You know, no creed, but, but Jesus. Well, that, I mean, that's a really lousy creed, but I mean, good on you to have it. But, but we, that's a creed in itself. That, that's right. That's sure. what I'm saying. Sure. Yeah. So, yeah, I think um, if you haven't read the Reformed Confessions, and by that what we mean, uh, I'll just name the large ones, you know, the Westminster Confession, Presbyterian brothers and sisters yeah. hold to, the three forms of unity, uh, you know, kind of the Reformed denominationally speaking. Uh, us three, we all hold to the 1689 London Baptist Confession. The faith, which mm-hmm. was based off of the Westminster Confession, like ninety-five yeah. percent of it. Yeah, and you, you could even add in something like the Canons of Dort, right? That yeah. would be a, part of three forms. Yeah, right. Yeah, exactly. so yeah, right. I, I mean, I would spend yeah, time, right. you know, immersing yourself in those, and you will find that they have been proven historically. They've held uh, churches and Christians together in unity, and so we don't we don't hold these confessions because it it makes us 
better or more important, uh, mm-hmm. but rather when we come together as a church, and I'm, I'll just speak specifically of mine as we're coming together and chartering together. When we have this confession of faith, these are the things that we are collectively agreeing upon so that if we find somebody delinquent in life or in doctrine, we can discipline and say, hey, you agreed about these things. And so if we have a brother or sister in our church that begins to undermine justification by faith alone, we can say, look, when you, when you committed to this body, you committed that you know, scripture was the rule of your faith and life and practice, but also as a church that we have, we have found that this confession of faith best summarizes the teachings of scripture. And no. so, yeah, I will say on Saturday, our session Saturday that we're doing up in Glendale, Justin and I are going to show this very problem when someone actually decides to go against the confession and how they end up denying the very truths yeah. that they are supposed to be holding right. to. I mean, sure. you can wander into, into biblicism, which yeah. if you're not familiar, it sound, sounds really good because, you right. know, biblicism sounds great. But in fact, what, what biz, biblicism is, is if, it, if scripture doesn't say it, then we don't do it or we don't believe it, which again, sounds good until you get to the Trinity mm-hmm. where you don't find the word Trinity in scripture, but you believe in that. Otherwise you're a heretic. Mm-hmm. And, and so, or, and then sometimes with biblicism, people will introduce mystery and, and even uh, tension into the scripture where it doesn't exist. <laughs> sure. yeah, that, that happens a lot, which we'll be talking about some more on, on Saturday yeah. even. Well, and we'll cover some of that in a podcast in a couple of weeks as well. Yeah. John, you had a brief thought. No, that was it. Okay. Um, Jimmy, were you were you done on that one? I'm done. All right.